In this episode of The Cole Memo, Tori Lisa returns to talk about the legal sex industry in Nevada. I said return because this is her second appearance on The Cole Memo. If you'd like to see all of the episodes that we've released on the legal sex industry to date, you can go to thecolememo.com slash sex. Once again, that's thecolememo.com slash sex. I am your host, Cole Preston. Every episode of The Cole Memo is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the transcript, audio, or video version of any episode, please refer to the description of the episode that you're listening to now. Within that description, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for this episode and the platforms where you can find this episode in audio or video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're listening from, I get it. Every platform is different. Simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. From there, you can find the corresponding episode, and then you'll be able to access the audio, video, and transcript version of that episode. You might also find any links that we reference during the episode. I know of at least one that we'll be referencing today so that you might be able to do your own research or connect with guests that appear on the show. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to thecolememo.com Patreon. It's a great way to support our show. However, one of the best ways to support our show is absolutely free. Subscribe to or follow our show. Leave us a positive review from wherever you're listening to us from. Favorite this episode, give it a thumbs up, leave a comment, or post a review. Your engagement and support is appreciated. Once again, this is Tori's return to our show. One note I'd like to make very clear for folks that don't know is that my show used to be called The Chillinoy Podcast, which is why I reference during this episode and, and some points in this series I say something to the effect of this is the Chillinoy podcast, or I say I'm from Chillinoy. That is because that was the name of this show. Uh, I've been recording these interviews over the past year. Today is December 15th, 2023, and I'll tell you approximately when this interview was recorded. Over the course of time, the point I'm trying to make is that this the name of this show has changed. So... This interview was recorded sometime around November of 2022, and once again, today is December 15th, 2023. I will pop in from time to time in this episode with a little bit of context. Folks, uh, one thing I want to say before I send you into this episode is that you know, this is a little bit of a teaser for the rest of the series, but Tori is no longer in the licensed sex industry. And so in this episode, you will see the second brothel, which she went to. And, you know, here's the real teaser is that she ultimately ends up getting promoted to being a madam. And then she leaves the industry altogether, which ends up in our third interview where we actually met in person in Denver, Colorado, while I was visiting Psychedelic Science 2023. Folks, you can put it together to determine the fact that I believe that was probably in June of this year that that would have happened, June or July. So 
stay tuned for Tori's third appearance, but I hope you'll find a lot of entertainment and value in her second appearance on the Cole Memo. Here it is. Like I said, I will pop in from time to time with extra context, but enjoy the episode. Tori, welcome back to the Chillinoy podcast. How's it going today? Hi, it's going great. I'm so glad to be back again. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, folks will have heard your first episode by now, but things have changed. Uh, If they're listening to this episode, they will have heard your first episode. If not, we'll have a link in the podcast description. So folks, go back and listen to the first episode of uh, the podcast with Tori and uh learn more learn more about her um before i have you catch us up i want to also say we will have a link um if you like what you see um we will have a link to uh tori's selfie pop page where you can connect with them on social media um again if you like what you see you can go to their only fans page um or fetlife page and you could even visit them at the alien cat house in uh las vegas nevada which is something We'll be talking about today. So I wanted to plug that off uh, right right at the top of the show so that people can go back and listen to your first appearance and also connect with you. Floor is yours. How you been since the last awesome. time we talked? I've been doing great, actually. I am coming up on my one-year anniversary of being a legal brothel worker. Um, I did change locations. I went from the Reno market to the Vegas market. I am now at the Alien Cat House and... I am prospering even more than before. So I'm very glad to be here. I'm glad I made the choice. I'm super glad I had the opportunity. So there's some differences between the the different locations, which are more geared towards the, the fact that I'm in a different county and the rules still pretty much are universally the same, but the experiences that I have here and the opportunities that I have here are a lot different and it's for the better for me. So, so yeah, um, I think the last time I was here, my nails were a little bit shorter. My hair was a little bit shorter, (laughs) but, um, but overall, all of the changes that have happened have been in a good way. And I would love to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I'm glad to hear that things are going better than, than ever. That's, that's always good to hear. And uh, yeah, I guess, you know, so you said you're at the Alien Cat House now, which is in, is it in Las Vegas? No, so Clark County, I'll explain why. We're in the next county over because brothels are not legally allowed to open inside of a county that has a population of more than 400,000 people. So you will find brothels in Nevada in unpopulated areas so you have to drive outside of vegas and cross the county line to get to this brothel um we do have a courtesy driver and things like that but people don't realize that in vegas prostitution is not legal at all anywhere so you have to go outside of clark county into nye county where i am and in my county we have three brothels um Ours is just a straight shot out of outside of Vegas. Um, and it's pretty easy to get to. And we 
provide the access for you to get to it complimentary. So if you ever do go to Vegas, just know a lot of people don't realize that it's not legal in Vegas to um, hire a prostitute. Um, there are no legal brothels inside of Clark County. You have to go outside the county line in order to access the legal side of this industry. Yeah. And that's something that people get confused on all the time. In fact, I had a friend yeah. that recently just went to Vegas and there's like trucks that are walking, driving around that say yeah. girls, girls, girls. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess just a good way to maybe start the conversation about the difference between illegal prostitution and legal prostitution is that when you know, when you go to a brothel, you know, that the person you're going to be um, partying with um, mm -hmm. is going to be at least 18, but in most places, 21 years of age, if I'm not mistaken, that that's that is the requirement. Correct. So that's one of the differences between the last brothel that I was working at and this brothel, the last brothel in Lyon County, Nevada, you could be 18 to enter. And you could be 18 to book. You just couldn't be um, booking like a champagne party. You couldn't drink. Okay. Here, you have to be 21. Straight up. You have to be 21. Um, both locations do require showing ID at the door. Or you will be turned away without it. So bring your ID and be 21 or over in this county. Each county has their own rules. So this one, yeah, you have to be 21. Yeah. And I got to say that, you know, <laughs> what I've heard is that, uh, frankly, when people have, you know, pursued the illegal source, mm -hmm. that, frankly, there are allegations that they traffic young, young women. And so, you know, going to a brothel that it's going to be a, yes. an adult, you know? Yes. Not only do I have to prove my identity, just like any other employer, I have to show my social security card, my government IDs. I sign W-9s. This is all reported to the IRS. Everything is above board in this type of establishment, a legally licensed brothel. And then the girls coming in are independent contractors. So, you know, we show not only our identification, but we also get fingerprinted. We get background checked. That's the same in both counties um, that I've worked in. I get licensed through the sheriff's department. Um, licensing here in this county is way more expensive than the last county I was in. No complaints, but, you know, it is what I have to do in order to be legally licensed. So um, we do quarterly um, licensing through the sheriff's department. So when I came in at the end of July, I got my sheriff's card as it's called, and that was good until September 30th. And so before the 30th kicked in, I went in and renewed it for the next quarter. So my next license won't be due until January 1st. But yes, we're um, not only age verified and identity verified, but we are also criminal background check verified. We are um, also health verified. I am tested every week, just like I was in the last county. But in my case, because I was already in the porn industry, we use a, um, a central system called Talent Testing Service. 
And Talent Testing Service actually provides the, um, the, the healthcare provider that comes here on site every week to do our swabs, um, our blood work, which is not done every week. It's done every month, but the swabs are done every week. So we have a, um, a provider that comes on site, but it's through Talent Testing Service, which was really great for me because I was already registered in the system as a porn star, and it was a really easy transition for me to have those records centrally um, located in a database, which now you know producers and agents can also access. So it simplified life for me, but it did become more expensive. But the thing is, is the girls that are here can't be sex trafficked. We're not sex trafficked at all. And I have had um, people who have come in for the first time and they're like, so you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Like they have this assumption that we're like indentured servants or that we are, you know, like pimped in some way. And that's not the case. I'm fully independent. I run my own show. I make my own rules. I charge my own rates. Um, I have my own menu of services. So I'm in absolute full control of my experience here. Whereas in the illegal side, the, the potential for girls to be sex trafficked, to be underage, to um, already be exposed to STDs, maybe carrying and transferring it the rules for, you know, using protection are very, couldn't be very loose. Now understand, I have huge, absolute huge respect for every sex worker. I am not in any way, I want to make this very, very clear. It gives me goosebumps how much I care about sex workers as a whole. And I know that there is that underbelly of sex work that exists. And I don't want it to be misconstrued as me saying, oh, legal is better than illegal. That is not the case. What I'm saying is, is you can be guaranteed that I am, you know, I and my coworkers and colleagues are of age, that we are here on our own free will, that we are calling our own shots, that we are in no way, shape or form put at risk for anything that would transfer to you as a client coming in as a potential risk as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm just curious, what, what are the differences, like how much more expensive, uh, for you are licensing compared to, uh, the, the other state. So, um, or other well, county other rather, county, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So the other county, um, the license was good for a year and it was $80. Um, still the same criteria and requirements, the fingerprinting, background check, et cetera. Um, here, it is $150 every quarter. So it's $600 a year to be licensed in this county. Gotcha. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, to address something that you said, uh, kind of big picture, and it's kind of my goal in this entire series, I'm going to quote John Oliver uh, for a moment. Mm -hmm. Some people object to sex work on moral grounds. Some associate the practice with crime and some believe the practice should be ended altogether because they believe that sex work is exploitation and absolutely cannot be done consensually. But a human's history's worth of shitty laws has not changed the fact that sex work has always been a part of society appealing to every interest and every kind of clientele. Also, sex workers are not a monolith. 
People from a variety of backgrounds do it for a variety of reasons. And the fact is, the current system of criminalizing the trade is actually only making life harder for the most vulnerable involved. Yes. In fact, um, it actually, this has happened in my own experience. I have worked with some girls who were on the other side of it, who were getting out of it because of the risks that and and the lack of um, consent and so on that they had. And they came into this side of it and I was able to sit with them and really get to understand the struggles that they went through and how much it took for them to get into a legal system and how much of an appeal there was for them to do that. The thing is, is you're right. In that quote, we come from all walks of life. I'm college educated. I literally have um, many skill sets. I'm not just known for what I do with my body um, behind closed doors. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very smart, capable, entrepreneurial woman who went into this, not be out of desperation, but out of desire. And I desired going into this and the potential for people to go into it because of desperate measures, very, very high. Because for a woman in today's society, getting out of abusive marriages or relationships, not having the financial means to just pick up and start over um, suddenly and abruptly. Um, Sometimes they're escaping, you know, safety issues, abusive issues, legal issues, maybe cropping up, things like that. So this is a natural segue for women to get out of those situations, but it's also a container for those women to come in and be safe for once in their life. Like I actually came from um, a very um, abusive situation and I didn't get into this until like three years after the fact. But the thing is, is I feel safer here than I do if I hadn't come into this environment or chose this profession. Um, I I was making money in other ways before I came here and I'm still making those income streams. I carried those with me, you know? So I basically double, tripled, quadrupled, et cetera, et cetera, my money income flow because I have goals. I have financial goals, but my heart is in this work. I have a deep compassion for human suffering, for the the lack of access that people have to intimacy. So my motivations may be very, very different than someone else who's sitting right next to me doing the same work that I'm doing. Um, But when you're on the outside, when you are an independent, and God love every single one of you out there that are independents, that comes with so many risks to your safety, the legal risks and so on. And I'm not sure I could do it because it really takes some, an iron constitution to navigate every single day, those risks on a continuous basis that would wear on me. So I feel very privileged to be here, but I wish 
the system worked in a way that everyone could step into this type of environment and feel that same peace of mind, that same safety and security and accountability and having that oversight. Um, you know, some people may argue, well, I would never want that. And that's their right. But I'm saying for me, based on my experience, I would be terrified to be an independent right now. Hey, folks, Cole here with just a bit of context. Tori is actually independent from what I understand at this point. And I, I don't mean to spoil the next episode featuring Tori, but she says she's found a way to feel more secure in being independent. That's a teaser. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And and working, um, even if it's, you know, not back alley street work, like it's all the same. We are exposing ourselves to higher risks when we don't have the protection of a legal system in place to keep all the checks and measures, um, you know, in line. But I've talked with girls who were exploited and it's terrifying, to be honest. And I wish that women or any sex worker of any gender, of any background, of any education, of any, of any sort, had access to this and not have to jump through as many hoops as we currently do. I don't mind having to get a sheriff card. I don't mind paying the licensing fees. I don't mind doing the testing. I was doing the testing outside of, of this industry anyway. I'm just saying that those things are not a problem for me in order to have this type of environment. I think it needs to be nationwide and that it's replicated across every state. But unfortunately, that whole moral grounds thing kicks in and it's just such an uphill battle. Yeah. Well, I want to get I want to get back to that, but really, really quick for folks that want to hear more about how you got in. We really dove deep into that episode, the first episode. So please, I'm just plugging our first conversation again. If you'd like to hear about that and you haven't already, check that out. Uh, the link will be in the podcast description. Before we get back to like expanding this nationwide and and maybe a conversation about how to battle those those moral objections, I just want to give you the floor and. Uh, to talk about like what's it like working at the new place or the as the clientele like are they bigger spenders like different things like that like i'm just curious to hear like some of the differences yes so at the last location i was only 10 to 15 minutes away from the city center so i had access to all of the things that most people would take for granted i am now in literally the middle of nowhere. There is no Grubhub, there is no Uber, there's like none of the things that I had before. Um, yes, we have, a, you know, a driver, but before I had 24 seven multiple drivers cause it was a much bigger house. This is a smaller house, AKA brothel, okay? Um, here we have between four to eight girls on tour at a time and it varies from week to week at the other house we had a few dozen at a time um, on any given week it was a much bigger location this is smaller and and niched a little bit more toward um more specialty type 
um, skill sets. So the clientele that comes here is actually very, very different. Um, we're on a trucking route. We are next to a travel plaza. So we do get a lot of truckers and tourists and travelers where they're coming in or out of Vegas because we're on the main route. Um, we don't have a lot of locals, as you say, because we're literally, there's no like suburbs outside, you know, down the road. So it is a lot of tourists, travelers, um, truckers, things like that. I do have regulars though. Um, here, I've already captured a really good retention rate of repeat clients because I had a concern about that with not having locals who would just come see you every weekend or every other weekend. Um, but it's actually translated into more money for me and everyone else. This house has, um, each house has a house minimum for you to qualify for booking with any girl for any type of party. You have to come in with a certain amount of money just to qualify for an appointment. Um, this one is much higher than the last one I was at. So in order to qualify for any booking here, you have to show up with more money. So the clientele has more cash flow or um, they, they know when they come here that the pricing is not going to be like at another house for the most part, those that are in the know. New people who may have like last night had a guy come in. He's a trucker. It's been a while since he's been here. He used to party with a girl that's no longer here. And things have changed even in the couple of years that he last visited. And he was like, wow, so much has changed. So, you know, these things can change in any given moment. But this house has a higher minimum. Um, it's more high, high, more specialized and more of a niche of, of um, services because it is a smaller house. Um, we don't have a lot of like, say, big parties, like big groups coming in. Number one, you know, like before we would have like, say, bachelor parties. And you would think in Vegas, there'd be a lot of bachelor parties. Yes, we have had them. But they basically have to caravan here, take a party bus and so on. We are working on providing a service where party buses can come here. And I think it's going to be rolling out. Uh, I want to say at the last meeting that we talked about this, it'd be in the next month or two. Um, don't quote me on that because things can change. But there's there's um, a contract that's going to be put in place where bigger groups can come out. But understand that we only have four to eight girls so somebody may have to, you know, hang tight for a little bit <laughs> and take a turn, whatever. But, but the clientele here has the ability and expectation of spending more. That's awesome for you. <laughs> That's awesome for Oh yeah, for I'm breaking you. records. All my personal records, I've broken all of them. Like within this last month was absolutely the best month I've ever had at any house. And yeah. in one particular week, I booked more than I did in three, I, 
I booked more in three days than I did in my best month at the last house, mm -hmm. just in three days. So no. yeah, it's, it's a lot different money wise, yeah. clientele wise, um, location wise, um, amenity wise, things like that. But I love how this one is a lot more, um, I want, I don't want to imply that it's relaxed in its rules and regulations and oversight, but it's managed differently too. Here, I have a lot more freedoms, so to speak. Um, the side incomes that I had before I came out to Nevada, um, they highly endorse. Whereas at the last house, they were like, no, you can't do that here. And I would have to like do it on my free time. I couldn't intermingle it, say, while I was on shift. Um, here, not only do they support you in that process of running your other things, such as my OnlyFans or going to film porn or what have you, they highly support it and will even promote you with it. They like my OnlyFans links. I couldn't, I couldn't even talk about it with my clients at the last house here. They have it literally on the website. You know, so like they're, they're super supportive of us. And I, it and seems I really like it only makes sense. That. Uh, you would think Yeah, <laughs> I did argue the point is like, but that's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. I get that they had their reasons. Okay. I'm, I, and I respected that, but it was harder for me to balance the different um, aspects of my business of my company, of me, the brand, it was harder for me to navigate it. So here, not only do I have the freedoms to have a discussion with you, for instance, at the last one, they they were not um, okay with media contacts. They would generally shut those down, shut those down. I acted independently in our last interview and I actually, you know, kind of did it on the down low here they literally brought in a filmmaker that had reached out to me originally at the last location that they said, no, they nixed it. They're like, nope, 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 can't do it. And I was like, but I'm going to do what I've always done before I even came here, which was I was in the media a lot. This is, you know, basically my life for over a decade. So I objected to the fact that they wanted me to not do that at all. And I said, well, I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. So when I came here, a filmmaker wanted, was doing a documentary series, had reached out to me. I wanted to do it, but management at the last location said no. They noticed that I had come here and said, hey, I noticed you're at Alien. Can we talk again about doing this project? And I said, absolutely. So I went to the owner and management and so on. Not only did they okay it, but they brought him in gate. Like he got to literally stay in a room here, follow me around, look at a day in the life. So basically it's like the, the curtains are pulled back here and it's, it's warmly embraced to be able to talk about brothel work, um, my experiences. So I feel way more supported here. And I feel like I have a voice here and I feel like I can be endorsed in more ways than just what I do inside the walls of my room. 
First of all, I'm so jealous of that person. Second of all, I'm hoping that I can make that an actuality because that that was my dream with this whole project was to actually come there. But Nevada is such such a it's a far ways away from Illinois. Um, so yes, it I, is. Another teaser for you, folks. As I said, Nevada is a far way away from Illinois, and now I know exactly just how far away. I've since made two trips to Nevada in the course of making this series, and, well, stay tuned for that. Enjoy the rest of the episode. But our, just, our, I will say the doors are open here, and I would absolutely love to see you come here, come on site, really immerse yourself in speaking not just with me, but any of the girls, it's all an opt-in, you know, um, consent-based. Some girls do protect their privacy and sure. are not open to media. However, um, we put those measures in place, like the pictures of them inside the brothel, we removed them or they're going to mm -hmm. be blurred if they happen to be in a, say a group conversation and they were participating, you know, things like that. But you can totally come see me and I will show you everything you want to know or need to know. And I'm happy to pull those curtains back and give you a glimpse of what it's really like here. Hell yeah. We'll, we'll make that happen hopefully here in the future. Um, I'm just, I'm just curious. What do you think um, is like the, the hesitation to, to be open? Like you're comfortable hmm. with being open with. I can give you what their answer is, but I can also give you what my theory is. So the last network that I worked with is known because of their publicity, but it also is a double-edged sword. So publicity can backfire and the negative publicity can also be very devastating. Okay. For any business, any industry, all right. So with that said, you know, they, there are rules about solicitation. If you remember in my first episode, I said, I can't say where I am because that may be construed as solicitation. I am in no way soliciting. I am simply saying I am an independent contractor at Alien Cat House, and this is what I do. This is who I am, and this is what I stand for. But at the last location, they had to be very protective of anything that would be misconstrued or become an entangled legal issue. Here, it's a different county. For instance, um, kind of a side note, like at the last county, I, I had to be very well covered here. I don't have to wear like pasties. Yes, I do. I can't be naked or topless out in the common areas but I get to be more risque here and it, it and it's not a problem. A, a, a deputy can walk through the door and have zero problem with the fact that I have a see-through outfit on, okay? Whereas at the last location, if I showed up in a lineup and there was any hint of, you know, nipple, um, I would have to go change and so on. So, so I, I feel like the whole media thing translates into how fussy are the are the people in charge of of oversight how fussy are they and how disastrous would it be to have someone go to the media and have something backfire so when i came here i said look i 
have always been open. I use my real name. I'm all about transparency. Um, I own my own media company. I have a lot of experience with the media. Are you going to have a problem with me talking to the public at large through different mediums? And he said, why would I? It was like, almost like, why would that be a problem? And so to me, I was like, oh, this is refreshing. Now, yes, I have to speak in, in my own authority. I have to own whatever I say and be accountable for whatever I say. If I misspeak, you know, then I will give corrections or what have you. But I think that they trust that I know what I'm doing. And so they're not trying to control everything I do. Yeah, I liked that response. Like, why wouldn't I? What, what do I? It's almost like, what do I have to hide? You know? Exactly. So I really, I find it to be very refreshing. And the fact that they were so accommodating to, like I said, you know, the filmmaker coming in and doing this documentary. Um, I loved that it was doors open. Come on in. We'd love to have you. And, you know, same extension for you as well. And anybody that wants to come here that's 21 or over can come in. And even if it's just for curiosity, come in. I will give you a tour. I'll answer whatever questions you have. Like, there's nothing to hide. Yeah. And there's nothing to... Um, there's nothing to, to protect in the sense of um, secrets. You know sure. what I mean? Like there's, there's no secrets. There are rules, but there's no secrets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I would maybe another way of saying what you said is that maybe that larger network, the way they look at it is like, what do we have to gain? But also what do we have to lose? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think you nailed it. You're so good at this. So yeah, I, um, I think that they're still riding on the coattails of the publicity that they previously had, but, but I don't think they understand um, that that's not sustainable, that it can only go on for so long. And when I get to literally sit down, um, you know, at the, at the last location, getting time with even one of the managers, let alone, you know, HR, or I, I mean, I never met the madam at the last one. That blew my mind that I never met the madam here. We don't even have a madam. The owner is on site multiple days a week and the owner travels the world. He's a, a businessman in, in different industries and so on. Um, but he says this is his favorite business because it's so different from the other businesses. So I have like this wonderful opportunity to have someone that's not so saturated and embedded in just this, that they have a broader view and mindset toward the overarching goals of the business itself. And so I have actual, you know, I can sit down anytime I need to um, and with multiple opportunities each week to sit down one-on-one -on -one with the owner and say, look, I, there's bad information out there. I would like to override it with correct and good information. What do you think about this? And he'll say, go for it. You know, because if I come across something that is inaccurate or might lead to us in any way and be of detriment, I, 
I have the freedom and the um, endorsement of yes, if you know, and, and so I get to throw out my ideas here and they're heard. I get to have actual time face-to-face, eyeball to eyeball with, with the decision makers. And I feel like I have more of a voice out here and that I'm heard out here. And so that to me is gold. It really is. Yeah. And so I ask this, this follow-up in the spirit of the fact that I've had other sex workers reach out since I announced that I was doing this series, that I was going to be giving a voice to sex workers. And, and I just have to ask you, like, um, is there anything else you can think of that, like the spirit of this question is obviously I've got sex workers attention and they might be thinking, is there a better option for me out there? Are there other things that just seemed silly from, from your former places that you just no longer have to deal with there? Cause you know, you get my question though. It's like, there are better options out there, people. And so I want to make sure we highlight all the great things that your current place gives you, you know? Okay. So if I'm understanding your question correctly, things that just seemed kind of silly or absurd that I no yeah. longer have to deal with. Yeah. Or kind of like arbitrary. Silly or absurd as a whole that I may like, I just want to make sure I understand your question. That's yes. All. That you no longer have to deal with these, like the, some, like, for example, it seemed a little arbitrary that they wouldn't let you talk to the media. It's like your, your current owner said, why wouldn't I let you talk to the media? Mm-hmm. Was there mm-hmm. anything else that just seemed like arbitrary or silly that you don't have to deal with anymore? So you have to understand I came from a corporate background um, in like the medical industry, um, also in retail, et cetera. Anytime you come into a company, a place of business to do business, there are policies and procedures and there is, you know, a, a formal training type thing. And when I first got to the last location, you're assigned a big sister and she'll just teach you everything you need to know. But nothing was ever in writing. There was like this little, they call it a book of secrets, but it's not really secrets. It, it was it was just like stuff that you should know. But it was the most basic stuff that's kind of common sense for the most part. And some things were like, oh, okay, didn't know that, but good to know. But there was no formal training. And so when I first got there, I had a big sister who really left some very big gaps in information um, because I'd never worked in a brothel before. And I needed to know everything as a newbie, as a beginner in the brothel industry. And so I was finding out things from other girls that I should have been told, but wasn't. And so I went to leadership and I said, hey, there were big gaps in my training and I'm noticing new girls coming in with other big sisters are also having gaps in training. It would make sense to have like a formal training whether it be videos, um, you know, uh, uh, basically a handbook, um, anything in writing that beyond what this little packet is. And they were like, well, we tried that and it didn't work. And I said, but it doesn't make sense that you would leave girls at risk 
of not knowing information because you're relying on the quality of training from multiple people. So what ended up happening is I became, I don't want to call it lead trainer, but I was like, I, I basically trained the majority, if not all during certain periods of time all the new girls coming in because I was so thorough and I was so detailed. So what I did was I created my own training checklist to make sure I didn't miss anything, even by accident, you know? And so I had like this whole formal checklist. I was very thorough and my approach to training was to empower the girls coming in, not just overwhelm them with information and then say, okay, uh, you know, there you go. Have fun. Um, I didn't just turn them loose to the wolves, so to speak. I always mentored them. Even if a month or two down the road, they're like, hey, I have a question. I was the one that would get the answer for them, give the answer for them, or make sure that they thoroughly understood and felt confident in doing the things that they were doing. And so I was constantly trying to pitch this whole, hey, if you're going to have other girls train, why don't we use my checklist? That way nothing gets missed. Even if it's not a formal training, it's at least a checklist where we can go, yes, we did this, we did this, we did this, we did this. Makes sense. In any other environment, that would be the way you would come into a work environment anywhere. So when I came here, very similarly. Now this alien used to be part of the the network that I was with before, right? So folks, I did a little bit of research and I figured out who the new owner of the alien cat house is. According to the Pahrump Valley Times, it was secured by new owner Raman Sharma, who recently purchased the operation from brothel owner Dennis Hoff. Now, If you go to the Alien Cat House today, specifically this link, which you can see the headline in the URL bar is aliencathouse.com slash blog slash alien hyphen cat house hyphen brothel hyphen is hyphen under hyphen new hyphen ownership. If you go there today, the link is broken. However, if you paste this exact link into the Wayback Machine, you can find the original post as it was made on the Alien Cat House's website. And you can see that Raman Sharma, a successful businessman with a diverse portfolio, was initially attracted to the property for its successful alien travel center that operates adjacent to the bordello. However, upon doing his due diligence, he discovered that the legal brothel industry was poised for a makeover in the underserved and often misinformed Las Vegas market. I don't know much about Raman Sharma, but I wanted to know who was behind the alien cat house, and it appears that that is the name. I've found that from two separate information sources, including the alien cat house itself, although, as I said, if you go to this link today, it will say page not found, but if you plug this link into the Wayback Machine, it's still on the internet. Just wanted to jump in with some extra context. We'll be talking more about the alien cat house and exactly how that brothel is run from Tori's perspective in her next episode. But I will say the doors are open here and I would absolutely love to see you come here, come on site, really immerse yourself in speaking, not just with me, but any of the girls, it's all an opt-in, you know, um, consent-based. Some girls 
do protect their privacy and sure. are not open to media. However, um, we put those measures in place, like the pictures of them inside the brothel, we removed them or they're going to mm -hmm. be blurred if they happen to be in a, say, a group conversation and they were participating, you know, things like that. But you can totally come see me and I will show you everything you want to know or need to know. And I'm happy to pull those curtains back and give you a glimpse of what it's really like here. Hell yeah. We'll, we'll make that happen hopefully here in the future. Um, I'm just, I'm just curious. What do you think um, is like the, the hesitation to, to be open? Like you're comfortable hmm. with being open with. I can give you what their answer is, but I can also give you what my theory is. So the last network that I worked with is known because of their publicity, but it also is a double-edged sword. So publicity can backfire and the negative publicity can also be very devastating. Okay. For any business, any industry. All right. So with that said, you know, they, there are rules about solicitation. If you remember in my first episode, I said, I can't say where I am because that may be construed as solicitation. I am in no way soliciting. I am simply saying I am an independent contractor at Alien Cat House, and this is what I do. This is who I am, and this is what I stand for. But at the last location, they had to be very protective of anything that would be misconstrued or become an entangled legal issue. Here, it's a different county. For instance, um, kind of a side note, like at the last county, I, I had to be very well covered here. I don't have to wear like pasties. Yes, I do. I can't be naked or topless out in the common areas, but I get to be more risque here. And, it, it, and it's not a problem. A, a, a deputy can walk through the door and have zero problem with the fact that I have a see-through outfit on, Okay. Whereas at the last location, if I showed up in a lineup and there was any hint of, you know, nipple, um, I would have to go change and so on. So, so I, I feel like the whole media thing translates into how fussy are the, are the people in charge of, of oversight, how fussy are they and how disastrous would it be to have someone go to the media and have something backfire? So when I came here, I said, look, I have always been open. I use my real name. I'm all about transparency. Um, I own my own media company. I have a lot of experience with the media. Are you going to have a problem with me talking to the public at large through different mediums. And he said, why would I? It was like, almost like, why would that be a problem? And so to me, I was like, oh, this is refreshing. Now, yes, I have to speak in, in my own authority. I have to own whatever I say and be accountable for whatever I say. If I misspeak, you know, then I will give corrections or what have you. But I think that they trust that I know what I'm doing 
And so they're not trying to control everything I do. Yeah. I liked that response. Like, why wouldn't I, what, what do I, it's almost like, what do I have to hide? You know? Exactly. So I really, I find it to be very refreshing. And the fact that they were so accommodating to, like I said, you know, the filmmaker coming in and doing this documentary. Um, I loved that it was doors open. Come on in. We'd love to have you. And, you know, same extension for you as well. And anybody that wants to come here that's 21 or over can come in. And even if it's just for curiosity, come in, I will give you a tour. I'll answer whatever questions you have. Like there's nothing to hide. Yeah. And there's nothing to, um, there's nothing to, to protect in the sense of, um, secrets. You know sure. what I mean? Like there's, there's no secrets. There are rules, but there's no secrets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I would maybe another way of saying what you said is that maybe that larger network, the way they look at it is like, what do we have to gain? But also what do we have to lose? Oh, yes. I yeah. think you nailed it. You're so good at this. So yeah, I, um, I think that they're still riding on the coattails of the publicity that they previously had, but, but I don't think they understand um, that that's not sustainable, that it can only go on for so long. And when I get to literally sit down, um, you know, at the, at the last location, getting time with even one of the managers, let alone, you know, HR, or I, I mean, I never met the madam at the last one that blew my mind that I never met the madam here. We don't even have a madam. The owner is on site multiple days a week. And the owner travels the world. He's a, a businessman in, in different industries and so on. Um, but he says this is his favorite business because it's so different from the other businesses. So I have like this wonderful opportunity to have someone that's not so saturated and embedded in just this, that they have a broader view and mindset toward the overarching goals of the business itself. And so I have actual, you know, I can sit down anytime I need to, um, and with multiple opportunities each week to sit down one-on-one -on -one with the owner and say, look, I, there's bad information out there. I would like to override it with correct and good information. What do you think about this? And he'll say, go for it. You know, because if I come across something that is inaccurate or might lead to us in any way and be of detriment, I, I have the freedom and the um, endorsement of yes, if you know, and, and so I get to throw out my ideas here and they're heard. I get to have actual time face to face, eyeball to eyeball. With, with the decision makers. And I feel like I have more of a voice out here and that I'm heard out here. And so that to me is gold. It really is. Yeah. And so I ask this, this follow-up in the spirit of the fact that I've had other sex workers reach out since I announced that I was doing this series, that I was going to be giving a voice to sex workers. And, and I just have to ask you, like, um, is there anything else you can think of that, like the spirit of this question is, 
obviously I've got sex workers attention and they might be thinking, is there a better option for me out there? Are there other things that just seemed silly from, from your former places that you just no longer have to deal with there? Cause you know, you get my question though. It's like, there are better options out there people. And so I want to make sure we highlight all the great things that your current place gives you, you know? Okay, so if I'm understanding your question correctly, things that just seemed kind of silly or absurd that I no yeah. longer have to deal with. Yeah, kind of like arbitrary. Silly or absurd as a whole that I may like, I just want to make sure I understand your question. That's yes, all. that you no longer have to deal with. These like, the, some, like, for example, it seemed a little arbitrary that they wouldn't let you talk to the media. It's like your, your current owner said, why wouldn't I let you talk to the media? Mm-hmm. Was there anything else that just seemed like arbitrary or silly that you don't have to deal with anymore? So you have to understand I came from a corporate background um, in like the medical industry, um, also in retail, et cetera. Anytime you come into a company, a place of business to do business, there are policies and procedures and there is, you know, a, a formal training type thing. And when I first got to the last location, you're assigned a big sister and she'll just teach you everything you need to know. But nothing was ever in writing. There was like this little, they call it a book of secrets, but it's not really secrets. It, it was it was just like stuff that you should know, but it was the most basic stuff that's kind of common sense for the most part. And some things were like, oh, okay, didn't know that, but good to know. But there was no formal training. And so when I first got there, I had a big sister who really left some very big gaps in information um, because I'd never worked in a brothel before and I needed to know everything as a newbie, as a beginner in the brothel industry. And so I was finding out things from other girls that I should have been told, but wasn't. And so I went to leadership and I said, hey, there were big gaps in my training and I'm noticing new girls coming in with other big sisters are also having gaps in training. It would make sense to have like a formal training whether it be videos, um, you know, uh, 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 basically a handbook, um, anything in writing that beyond what this little packet is. And they were like, well, we tried that and it didn't work. And I said, but it doesn't make sense that you would leave girls at risk of not knowing information because you're relying on the quality of training from multiple people. Yeah. So what ended up happening is I became... I don't want to call it lead trainer, but I was like, I, I basically trained the majority, if not all during certain periods of time, all the new girls coming in because I was so thorough and I was so detailed. So what I did was I created my own training checklist to make sure I didn't miss anything, even by accident, you know? And so I had like this whole formal checklist. I was very thorough and my approach to training was to empower the girls coming in, not just overwhelm them with information and then say, okay, uh, you know, there you go, have fun. Um, I didn't just turn them loose to the wolves 
so to speak. I always mentored them. If, even if a month or two down the road, they're like, hey, I have a question. I was the one that would get the answer for them, give the answer for them, or make sure that they thoroughly understood and felt confident in doing the things that they were doing. And so I was constantly trying to pitch this whole, hey, if you're going to have other girls train, why don't we use my checklist? That way nothing gets missed. Even if it's not a formal training, it's at least a checklist where we can go, yes, we did this, we did this, we did this, we did this. Makes sense. In any other environment, that would be the way you would come into a work environment anywhere. So when I came here, very similarly. Now this alien used to be part of the, the network that I was with before, right? But it was sold years ago to the current owner. They did have a little bit more training material, but they still didn't have a formal training process. And so, but they brought me on because I was a trainer, a predominant, I did a lot of the predominantly, a lot of the training. Um, at the last network, they were like, you know, we need somebody who's going to be thorough and detailed because they're, we just need everybody to be on the same sheet of music coming in across the board. And we need higher quality training and onboarding. So I've been a big sister to pretty much everybody coming in here. And, um, and I'm using that checklist and we're developing an actual training policies, procedures, putting things in writing. So it was interesting to me that two of two brothels that I've worked at didn't have things in writing. And I questioned it. And here it's like, heck yeah, let's do this. And so, you know, I, I type up training materials based on my own training methods and information. And then I share it with, with management and they have incorporated that into the onboarding process, doing their hiring. Um, and, and it's working out very well. So yeah, it seems silly. Like you would think, you would assume that training materials would be an obvious thing, but it wasn't. I don't know what other brothels are doing. I'm guessing based on the crossover of, of girls coming from other brothels and me having friends in other brothels. Um, I think that it's kind of an afterthought to put things in writing. And here, I just think that, you know, we're, we're going in that direction without resistance, whereas before all I, did, all I got was resistance. I think that the girls coming in need to have all the information they need and they need to be able to refer back to it. Because for me, part of the training is I don't tell it to you once. I tell it to you about three times and then I pop quiz you on it. And, yeah. you know, like I, I will go, okay, what if? And then I throw something at them, a scenario that they haven't dealt with. So I do a little bit of role play in getting them to feel confident and say their negotiations or holding boundaries. It's beyond just the policies and procedures. It's also about mindset. It's about empowering people to um, be able to handle a difficult situation. And if they're not assertive, helping them build their assertiveness and, and their confidence in, in, in dealing with the clients that come in, because sometimes we can have problematic clients who do need to be asked to leave or who may be intoxicated and so on. And if a girl is brand new and really hasn't been exposed to that 
or for that matter, if they were exposed to it, it was a traumatic experience and they need to be, their confidence needs to be built or their, or they need to practice it more. I think the training could be a lot better. And I'm super thankful that I get to have a hand in it, both at the last house and at this house. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that the girls have everything they need to not only do well, but to be well. Before, before we move on, I'm just curious, cause you know, I nerd out on this stuff at the last network. I'm just curious. You said that there were some like pretty straightforward things that you felt were being left out. Do you have any examples like. Condom education. Why are we assuming that just because you were a sex work on the, on the outside, um, that you would know everything you need to know about condom sizing, um, about, you know, for instance, I trained someone who I actually know, um, they were in, they are in the porn industry. Um, and if, you know, if you watch porn, you know, we get, we get tested, um, by TTS talent testing service. Um, at least most studios work with talent testing service. And so we don't have to use condoms because we've been cleared by talent testing service. Right. So the amount of times she would use condoms was very rare. And so she thought she knew about how to use condoms, but had a lot of assumptions. And I had a situation where someone, sometimes clients will come in and they'll book with one girl. They'll take a break. Then they'll book with another girl. They'll take a break. Like they'll, they'll party all day. Okay. They're there for the marathon. Right. And so I happen to know that in his first party, he needed a specific size of condom because of his anatomy and that it also would be wise to use a cock ring in order to keep it on so it doesn't roll up. Yes. So was it big or small? That's what I was trying to ask. Huge. Oh, and okay. Thank wider you for clearing in the that girth up. than in the shaft. <laughs> okay. So if you're wider in the girth than at the shaft, it's going to naturally roll up. Well, I have every size uh, silicone cock rings that can hold the condom on. And in, in those cases where it may roll up, even if it's properly sized. Well, she tried to use a regular size condom, no cock ring, an alternative lube, like all of this stuff. And I was mortified that she did not know. And I'm, it's not no shame on her, but we can't assume that everybody coming in understands that there are a lot of things you need to know about safe condom usage um, and how to properly size and fit one or how to properly keep one on when you've got anatomy that may have a propensity for a condom to come off or to maybe um, roll up or, or what have you or how to check to make sure that the condom is still on without interrupting the flow of the party, things like that. So I would teach those things, assuming I didn't assume that they didn't, that they knew. 
I assumed they didn't know, and I'd rather give them too much information than not enough. So again, that's something that's happening here that didn't happen there that I said, hey, this is important. We can't assume that just because the girl says, yeah, I know all about condoms, that you take their word for it because the, in practical application, they may think they know, but do they really know? That's, that was a, I mean, hell, I just learned something there. I didn't, I never really understood what cock rings for this is people are going to roast I me for this. I never really look like, but they're, 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 well, I know what they look they're... like. I've seen them in a movie, but I'm just like, what mm -hmm. are they for though? You know, I so never knew there's what they novelty were for. ones that you get that are very rubbery and stretchy and they're like sure. a gummy texture. Those, those are a joke. Those are really not real cock rings. Those are just kind of decoration for your dick. <laughs> they are they it's like christmas they, for christmas or something yeah so um <laughs> there are you know professional grade cock rings and cock rings are used for more than just um sustaining an erection or prolonging um a, a session it's used for safety and people don't understand that that tool or that particular item could potentially save their life, you know, um, and having that in your arsenal of, of things to have. I had a guy come in last night who swore that no, no condom would ever fit him. Um, and he was large. And I said, well, the good news is, is I have literally every size, every shape, every style of condom in stock, let me show you, because he was trying to get by with a very popular brand that, you know, that everybody universally thinks of when somebody says, you know, big penis. Um, he was like, well, I've tried those. And I was like, okay, but there's more out there than just that brand. Let me show you. And I educated him. I'm educating the clients on what condoms they can use outside of the brothel because I'm showing them exactly which condom will fit them because I have them in stock and ready and available. And I get to educate my clients on condom use as well. Yeah. I mean, frankly, uh, I'm just, I was thinking about it again. People can make, feel free to make memes about me and make fun of me online, but like a lot of these tools I didn't know what the purpose of, I didn't even know that the purpose of a cock ring was to sustain an erection. I just thought yeah. when, well, first, when you said it would be used to, to hold a condom on, I was like, oh, that's what a cock ring is for. But then you oh. talked about two other uses and I was like, I don't even know. It, and I just learned the use of uh, like what a penis pump is for. Cause there's, um, oh, yeah. there's the only reason I knew it existed was because it's in the beginning of Austin powers and they're like giving him his belongings back. They're like, here's your phone. Here's your wallet. Here's your penis pump. And there's a girl standing next to him. He's like, Oh, that's not mine. That's not, and I never understood what the joke was. I never got it. And then I just learned literally like a few weeks ago, it's for people that like can't, can't get erections or, or whatever. Correct. So an erection is blood flow. Yeah. So, but, but and my point is you have poor circulation due to poor health, um, or aging or whatever the case may be. Um, there are people who physically cannot maintain an erection. So a cock ring can assist and help with that. So can a penis pump. And these are tools that nobody should be ashamed or embarrassed that they need use the tools. Well, but, and I, my, 
my thing is that I never even was taught in sex education about like I was just kind of taught conceptually what sex is, but they never even really even told you I what that was. No, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like it's this thing, but we're not going to talk about it, even though we're supposed to talk about it. Yeah, we're going to like tell you the bare minimum details. We're going to like teach you about the biology. We're going to kind of tell you the end result, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we're not going to get into too many details. So, so yeah, I mean, there, sex education is very lacking. Um, you know, I know that there's an age difference between us. So like the sex education you got was probably better than the one that I got. Um, because my era of sex education, like you said, it is more about the biology of it and not the practicality of it or this, or, you know, safety, they tell you use condoms and then they give you a couple condoms. Well, how do you use them? Maybe you were lucky to have a, um, an instructor who used like a banana to show you. Okay. But bananas are not all one size. Penises are not all one size, you know, like mm -hmm. it, th there's variations there. Yes. A banana has a curve to it. Mo many majority of penises are not straight and, and this, and, and a certain, you know, length and width and so on. Yes. There's an average out there for each country. I think, you know, each country has like, what's the average penis size type thing. I think everybody has probably seen that, which countries have the larger and smaller penises and so on. But okay. You have guys that come in. Um, we have to do what's called a dick check. I have to do a visual. It's very thorough. Um, but some people are growers and not showers. You know, like what you think the, the, the condom size would be based on a flaccid penis is completely changed once they are erect. So like you have to know what you're doing with a condom in order to have the safe outcomes. So I think that there needs to be more condom education in sex yeah. education. I mean, the biggest the thing you... Time, you a pointed lot of people out work on bad information or no information and they just kind of wing it. And this is not something you just wing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you pointed out that people like you literally have to teach people how to, 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 you know, make sure they stay on. And that is definitely not something I was taught in sex education. And I don't mm -hmm. like, even with the banana example, I don't think they go any further than putting it on. Like, let's make sure it stays on. What yeah, happened? Well, well, some girls you didn't know. know that you don't put lube inside a condom. Yeah. Wow. That's, like, uh... oh my goodness. You know, and, and because I was training so many girls on a consistent basis, they're like, okay, so which loop should I put inside the condom? Huh? None. <laughs> and so that, that went on my training checklist of things to make sure the girls know, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, that, that a water-based lube is, um, toy friendly, condom friendly that they, they were coming in with, you know, different lubes that would actually degrade the quality of the condom or, you know, cause damage and what have you. So like lube education, condom education, um, accessories that, that could be used to assist somebody in having better outcomes like a cock ring, um, things like that. So for me, 
I have a huge education element, not only in the training of the girls, but also with my clients. And just, I mean, coincidentally, last night, you know, the guy that I, uh, you know, was was negotiating with and he was like, seriously, I have such a bad outcome with condoms. And I was like, that's because you've been using the wrong one. Everybody assumes that this one particular brand, one particular kind is the be all and end all for a large size penis, but there are literally a multitude of them. And I own a, a good supply and provide a good supply of the largest um, and strongest, but yet still thin and sensitive. Um, it's a it's a specialty condom, but you have to know it exists to get it and where to get it and so on. So he just didn't know. Yeah. Now he knows. Yeah. Cool. Well, those were both really, really informative uh, answers, you know, with regard to things that um, is there anything else that you can think of before I switch to my next topic? Ooh, um, things that that seems like a no brainer, but I would say that a lot of clients come in with assumptions and I spend a lot of time as well as other girls who choose to be more on the educational side, um, to inform them otherwise, for instance, um, people assume that we do things again, that we're doing things we don't want to do. That's very, very common. They're like, oh, so you like doing this? You know, because I, I'm, I don't fake anything here. Um, you know, I said it before I, I use my real name. I don't fake orgasm. Like you're getting an authentic experience. I came here to have an authentic experience with authentic people. And when they come in, they have this mindset or belief that I'm doing things that I don't like. I don't ever do something I don't like. Um, if we negotiate everything up front, so it's not a free for all. It's not a, you know, you get to have everything you ever want to do to me. I have to do it for you. It's not that at all. And the thing is, is like the clients that come in, very rarely do we get that kind of attitude coming in, but for those that do and they, they verbalize it, I shut that down real quick. And so they don't get the privilege of having access to me, even if they had all the money in the world. However, there are people that come in and assume that I am doing this against my will or that I don't enjoy it. They also assume that I am obligated to do things and that's not the case. So people that come in and they ask great questions, they really do. Some are too shy to ask. And I encourage you, whether it's with me or any other sex worker, if you have a curiosity or a concern, voice it with whoever you're working with, whether it's in a brothel or not. If you have a curiosity or concern, please, please, please talk to the sex worker openly and honestly about anything okay the more information we have about where you're coming from the space you're coming from 
what beliefs you have, what assumptions you have. We can clear that up and overcome any obstacles that may be in the way in that regard. So I enjoy the, the clients that come in that they're like, oh gosh, I thought that you blah, 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 or that people who work here have to blah, blah, blah. And I love those conversations because then I can learn more about how society as a whole views us. I only knew how I viewed it going in or maybe how friends or family viewed it, but now I get to see a very diverse um, cross section of multiple um, belief systems that come in and sharing those beliefs with me. So now I have like this bigger picture and there are a lot of assumptions out there and I would love for every client to be as open as they are with their curiosities or concerns so that we can clear that up or to make sure everybody's on the same sheet of music as to how our time together will be spent. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I want to get, get back to, um, that's going to be kind of our closing topic. And of course the entire reason I've been speaking to you is how can we, first of all, how does society view this, but then how can we change it? Right. Um, but I wanted to ask you before just another question about your current location. And I feel like it's an easy one for you. You mentioned you were in the middle of nowhere and there's no amenities. What do you do for like uh, food and stuff? And just, okay. just amenities. That's a really yeah. great question. I'm glad you asked. So at the last location, we had someone would come in and they would prepare meal, a, a, a big meal, kind of a buffet style meal. Now we do have, um, because it's a smaller location and there's only, you know, four, six, eight people at a time. Um, we have a commercial kitchen, but we get to cook our own food. Um, now staff does provide cooked meals for us, but like at the last location, we weren't allowed to touch the stove or the oven. We had like a microwave. So we were limited to eating outside of what they provided us, both in preparation and storage of our own food here you know we we buy our own food we write our name on it but they provide anything that we want we put it on the shopping list they provide the food for us but let's say i'm you know at the store and i want to buy some snacks just for myself or food or whatever i want to make a meal just for myself i totally can do that i have free reign of the kitchen and they provide whatever I ask for. And I can also have and store my own stuff. So that's a benefit actually, but there's no Grubhub. There's no pizza delivery. Um, so we do have to drive to get to the nearest town, nearest, you know, grocery store, uh, the nearest fast food place. If I'm craving something, I have to drive to go get it. So when I came here, my vehicle, um, I, I left it in Colorado because I flew out here and I'm allowing um, my son to use it. He's, you know, actually both my boys to use it. So they're using it um, and maintaining it. You know, I'm making the payments and all that stuff. So they get to use my car while I'm not using it. But when I came here, I was like, I need a car. So because I've been doing so well, I just decided one day, you know, I'm, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a car. 
and I went out and so I just bought my second car. So I have two cars now, one here in the state and one back home. Nice. So, yeah, I was super excited about that, that I was like, you know, for the first time in my life, I have like two cars in my name and, you know, and, and it's weird buying a car out here. Okay. I'm just going to say the rules here for buying a car are way different. I could not add that second vehicle on my existing policy in Colorado. I had to get a whole separate policy that originated out of Nevada. Now, I don't know if other states do that. And maybe I'm just now getting the memo that, that that's kind of common. But I was spoiled in Colorado if I wanted to, you know, add another car, which I did. Um, at one point, I did have a couple of cars in, in a crossover of, of vehicle ownership transfers. But like here, I had to get a whole another separate policy. Um, the vehicle had to have a Nevada address attached to it, which, you know, because I am here more here than I am back home, I could technically be a resident of both states. So I was kind of in that gray area and we, we got it figured out. But the thing is, is like, now I have my own vehicle. We have a driver that can take us places, but I like being able to just go, you know what? I need to go get whatever. Um, deuces, I'm heading out and I get to like literally make my own schedule. I don't have to say, hey, three days in advance. Hey, I'm going to need to run errands. Can I have Thursday afternoon off? I literally will walk out, tell the the shift manager, hey, I got I got to head out. I got something I've got to do or hey, I'm going to I'm going to run and get my nails done or something. And I don't have to like plan it in advance. So now I have way more freedom here even though I don't have amenities that I normally would have had, if that makes sense. So I'm not going to be calling for pizza. I'm going to be driving, go get it. But I can also leave whenever I want. Um, and I am privileged enough to be able to afford having this new car purchase and being able to just hop in the car and go. So cool. um, just wanted to do a quick time check. You doing good on time? Cool. Um, just curious, how far away is that drive if you were to go get pizza or go to a grocery store or something? Mm. Okay, so we are located in, um, specifically, we're in Amargosa Valley, Nevada. It's in Nye County, and Nye County has um, is very big. <laughs> so there are multiple towns in Nye County, but it expands across, you know, like the county goes for hours. <laughs> In, in different directions. Um, where I'm located is actually, people may uh, know Area 51, okay? Um, my The owner told me that um, this is the closest commercial property to the Area 51 boundary. It's literally like right behind us. Now, Area 51 is a very, very big area okay and i don't think anybody knows where the true area 51 is unless you are in the know type thing so general public doesn't even know where it begins and ends but the boundary line is right behind us and so if you look on a map you'll see that we're like backed right up to the outside perimeter of area 51. so getting access to things can go in different directions if i go 30 minutes up the road on Highway 95 to Beatty, 
Um, they have like casinos there, restaurants, gas stations. It's kind of a common stop for travelers. Um, if I go 45 minutes down the road, I can go to Pahrump and they have, you know, like I was just there the other day. I mean, I got my Starbucks and, you know, they have their dispensaries there. They have, you know, whatever. Um, Walmart, I do my Walmart pickup. But yeah, I can get things, but I have to go to it to get it. So if I wanted pizza, I would have to go get the pizza. Um, I did find an Uber driver who does driving on the side. So like if I needed a backup plan for transportation, I do have access to um, someone who will come all the way out here, Uber, um, Uber or not. If I go two two hours north of here, I would be in Tonopah. If I went toward Vegas, I would hit Indian Springs first, which is about 45 minutes away, and then another half an hour to 45 minutes um, will get me deep into um, Vegas. So you're going to pass by... Creech Air Force Base, you're going to pass by Nellis, like you're going to pass a lot of military installations um, because they're all kind of peppered along the whole Area 51 route. Um, and you're going to have a lot of like travel centers along US 95 um, because they're the vastness of the Nevada desert, like you will drive for an hour and see nothing. But you'll see everything. It's like it's it's such a vast landscape. Yeah. So you'll hit these little little sections of of amenities or um, you know just basic things like food, gas, you know, lodging, entertainment, tourist stuff. Um, if I go about forty five minutes down the road. I'm in California and in Death Valley, if I go a different direction. So I'm very, very close to Death Valley. Um, so yeah, there's like, it depends on which direction you go, but you are going to have to drive at least 30 minutes to get to something from where I am. Very interesting. Very interesting. And I've heard that little towns like this that have a brothel, it's kind of the, uh, the revenue maker for the town, uh, the cash oh my cow, if you will. Oh yeah, see that's how these counties actually survive. They're so sparsely populated that they just don't have the um revenue to sustain a robust infrastructure and and county system. So for instance, the last network I was in, just the licensing of the brothel itself, the brothel license and the um, licensing of the girls and so on. I mean, it it paid for like all of the police cars in the sheriff's department. Like it funded an entire, you know, city service. Um, here, the licensing is much more expensive, like I said. So these brothels between their own license and then the revenue it creates for the licensing of the girls and so on is very, very lucrative. Cannabis industry, you know, like I literally was looking at some stats of like Northern Nevada um, dispensaries generated yeah. 
this much to go toward the economy. Um, we are contributing to an economy, a very robust economy for the counties that we are in, that they otherwise would not be able to survive or survive well without it. Yeah, and that's that kind of leads us to, um, you know, our final, like my kind of tiptoes us in rather to our my final point, which is like, yeah, I it seems like in that case, they they accept it because they have to not not because they have to but because they know that if they did it they'd be missing out on a lot of good tax dollars oh yeah it makes good business sense literally on all sides of the of the of the equation it makes good business sense to have brothels in any county but they are regulated in a way that they must be in a less densely populated county and so like i mean you'll be driving for an hour and see nothing then all of a sudden boom there's a brothel where'd that come from you know like there, some of them are way out there now brothel history i've been getting into like i have been to um a burned down brothel and picked through the rubble and you know was able to to retain some artifacts from that um i actually stopped at the cottontail which had long been abandoned i actually was on the property and, and kind of looking around there um but it's it it burned down a few weeks ago and like the brothels are disappearing you know they 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 get closed down for one reason or another or they burn down or maybe they they need renovations you know to a degree that they just need to rebuild or and and so on there are some brothels that have been slow to reopen since covid lifted the restrictions there are some that have yet to reopen um this one is alive and doing well and and so on but like it it's heartbreaking to actually go to the 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 echo of what was once a robust brothel and to see it either in decline or destroyed or abandoned whatever and it, i just it breaks my heart to see you know part of history disappearing um when i came out here i stopped for the night my friend and i um both worked together at the last place we came here together um we stopped at what was once a brothel called the shady lady um the shady lady is now a bed and breakfast it's no longer a brothel but they maintained the original decor and the awards and and so on um, but they just converted it into a bed and breakfast so even if the building still exists it's not being operated as a brothel I would love to see more brothels open and to be able to retain the ones that are still there because it is a big moneymaker for the counties it's in. Yeah. And I, I just wonder how, how we make that pitch, you know, um, it's almost like it, you almost wonder if you have to do it. And it's funny you brought up cannabis 
dispensaries, like it's almost like you have to bring up the, the amount of tax dollars that it could or does in the case of Nevada bring in. So if you follow money, it will always go back to some sort of moral majority. Okay. Credit card issuers. They are not sex work friendly. They're not cannabis friendly. Like you, you, you really have to navigate around financial institutions blocking these industries or not supporting these industries or having nothing to do with these industries. Are, are brothels um, cash only? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to uh, cut No, you actually, um, we take all cards except American Express because they are not sex work friendly. Um, Amex says no cash. sex. <laughs> we do take cash. Um, it does not show up on your credit card statements. Like if you use a credit card, it'll show up as our parent company, which it, there's no identifying information that you went to a cat house. Okay. Um, you can use cash. You can use card. You can use a combination of the both, but you have to go either to the ATM next door to pull the cash out. If you really don't want to use your card here. Okay. There are some people are there that are that insistent, even though we've reassured them that's their right, or they can run their card and have it show up as the parent company. No harm, no foul. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can and we do, but it's, under a parent company. Understood. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just wonder, um, just in a general sense, how it seems like, you know, we have made progress in the last few years. It, one thing that has been frustrating for me and the main point I try to make that I'm trying to make in this special, um, which we can, we can talk about, you know, the whole bigger picture after we get off air, if you're curious of mm -hmm. how I plan to release and stuff. Um, but you know, this started in, I mean, it's gone back to the 1800s and the mining communities as, as we talked about in our first conversation, but legalization of sex work really started in like the 60s, 70s, I believe. It was actually in 1970 in Nevada. Um, the movement for it was really, really strong in the 60s. And back then, like, especially the Nevada-based brothels, those were run by the mafia. Like, I can tell you some stories that I've heard that are just like, whoa. Um, so since 1970, there have been many phases of the legal side of things, okay? For instance, I mentioned the Shady Lady um, brothel that I stayed at that's now a bed and breakfast. Well, that's in the same county that I'm in. It is like I said, since closed, but in the early 2000s, they were the first brothel to get permission to hire male prostitutes. Okay. And unfortunately it didn't, it, it didn't work. Um, they floundered. It was that brothel is very, that brothel was very, very small. I think they had maybe at most four girls at a time. Um, don't quote me on that, but it was a very small um, brothel, smaller than the one I'm in. So like they probably needed to have more 
a, a bigger accommodations, like at least six to eight girls for it to really work. Um, I don't know why it closed down. It could have been the owner had health issues. I don't know. I don't know that specific history for that specific one. But I do know that in the early 2000s, they were the first brothel to hire male prostitutes and provide services in that way. It just, it didn't survive. Um, the, the point here is, I guess that like, I'd love to see how from the 1970s until now, I'd like to see the true picture of the different phases and how we've gotten to where we are today, which is I'm so grateful for the generations of workers that have worked before me who pushed to get things in where they are now. And I hope to be able to perpetuate and propel it to even better in, in my turn here so that future workers can, can, can have the types of freedoms, if not more, and, and have more expansion of this industry. Like if I had my way, it'd be done within my lifetime. I would hope that I could be able to see that but there are workers from the 70s who are no longer here who don't didn't get to see how much it's changed since they came on board to push it to where it is here so you know i, I really have to thank anyone who worked in the brothel industry in nevada prior to me for being a part of that evolution because now i get to sit here and say hey we're doing pretty good out here. Let's talk about how can we expand it or how can we improve it in a way that makes it less of a moral issue because the money, yes, money, money talks. Money will always talk. So we have to get over this whole moral part of it to really truly have the talk about where that money can really benefit different counties and how we can maybe change the rules so that all counties could do it. Do you think there's a, any amount of truth to any of the moral concerns? <laughs> you know, like I said, there's an underbelly. There's exploitation that exists in sex work. Okay. It doesn't exist in the business models that I have been exposed to as a legal sex worker in a brothel. Okay. There are people who get so hung up about sex that they forget that there are humans involved on every side of this equation. So when a client comes in, I see them for the human they are. I see them for the unmet needs that they have. Um, very rarely, people would be would be in probably um, surprised to know that very rarely do we have clients coming in for, you know, a smash and dash or quickie and go. They're coming in for emotional connection with no strings attached. Um, a guy that I toured yesterday, um, it 
wasn't within his budget, but he literally wasn't even here for the sex. That's another thing that most people don't realize that the majority of people that come in, it's not even about the sex or about their fulfillment. They want to come in for human connection, physical, emotional, spiritual, conversational. Um, I had a client at the last network. He would come in just, just to have conversation and he would pay me for our time. Close stayed on. He wanted someone to talk with who could hold a conversation for prolonged periods of time. He found the right girl. <laughs> you know, like I, you know, I, I have no problem with talking, but the thing is, is people come in, they, they need connection. The guy that came in yesterday, he's just like, I just need to cuddle. I do cuddle parties. I just need to sit and watch, you know, football and just shoot the shit with somebody like he's lonely. Okay. So for him, it wasn't about getting his rocks off. It was about the connection. And so when we actually stop assuming that every single client coming in is coming in for sexual gratification, and it's more about the human connection that is lacking in someone's life that is holding them back from their fullest potential, from thriving, from being the healthiest person they could be or the healthiest mindset they can be. I mean, it contributes to poor health, to depression, to poor, you know, mental health. Like when you don't have access to healthy and consensual human connection, you suffer. And so a lot of people don't realize that a, a great percentage of people that come in, sex is actually secondary, if not, not even an issue on their requests of what they would like to accomplish while they're here. They come in for that connection and that interaction and that validation, if you will. Yeah. So and I have a lot of clients that come in for the sole purpose of pleasing me. It is not about them at all. Now, in a way, in a roundabout way, in a secondary way, it is about them. But the focus is not on them. It is on me. Um, like I do body worship parties. I have a client. I've had many clients that come in just to worship either my body as a whole or certain aspects of my body. There is no sexual release, but it does provide fulfillment for them that may translate into sexual release in other ways or with other people. Um, so I think that the whole moral thing, it's, it's, it's a silly thing to like grab onto. It's a, it's a bad hill to die on. Let's just put it that way. Cause yeah. I can sit here and give you example after example, after example, day after day, after day where people came in who needed human connection and it wasn't about the sex at all and frankly i can give examples of work that isn't sex work that uh you could say are taking advantage of people in a worse oh, yeah. way than sex work you know so but oh, here's yeah. here's my thing i want to really get to the heart of this conversation and this is kind of the point of of me doing this I've been examining Nevada's way of doing it. I've been looking at the way other areas of the world do it. One of the thing I was going to mention earlier, uh, New York, I don't know if that, if it happened before we talked or in between the, the time I've talked to you since, um, but they decriminalized sex work. So there's been progress um, 
for sex workers um, across the world. My question is, and this is like the heart of of this of this series, you know, is can we do a copy and paste of what's happening in Nevada and other states, or are there certain things that before we do that copy and paste that we should change? And frankly, one of the things we talked about last time, and I bought the movie Cat or, or the well, it's the documentary and the the show Cat House, uh-huh. and it was interesting. One of the things that a sex worker casually brought up is like that this is in a lockdown house, you know, and cause Dennis Hoff actually pioneered and kind of changed mm-hmm. things in a better way. And so like, I am the, the spirit of this podcast is very much that I want to try to spotlight the good things that are going on, but I also have been talking about some of the things that I think should change before we do a copy and paste of Nevada's laws into let's say Illinois or mm-hmm. any anywhere. And one of the things is lockdown houses. It sounds like that's maybe not so much of a thing anymore, but it still is a thing and I I just feel like that should change. You know, it just the idea oh, yeah. of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so- have friends that do work in lockdown houses. Um it is to me I see the logic of it, but I also see where it's detrimental. I am not in a lockdown house. In fact, if anything, I have more freedoms here. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out and exploit that to my advantage in any way. But like um, being able to walk out that door without consequence is huge huge. Okay. It is about my free will. It's about my free will to use my body in the way that I decide it's, it's going to be used with another human being or multiple human beings at the same time. In my case, like I have free will here in all ways possible. Um, outside of here, like for instance, we can get into the Roe versus Wade debate. Um, removing my free will is absolutely anybody that tries to remove my free will will be met with great resistance. Okay. So a lockdown house is not going to be able to retain happy hookers and happy hookers make better money not just for ourselves, but for the house, like your quality of life, the freedoms that you are given, the amount of free will that a house endorses for the girls that come in, um, I think prosper better. Someone could probably show me numbers and say, no, that's not true. And I can argue the flip side of it. But my free will is so important to me in every aspect of my life that I could not work in a lockdown house. I would, I won't even go. I won't even like, if I ever left here, God forbid, because I think this is the best house in the whole state. Honest to God. Um, All the pros and cons aside, lockdown houses to me are so restrictive. I get that it's to make sure that the girls don't 
you know, go to the dark side or do anything illegal or put people at risk. I, I get that. And I respect that. But I've never worked in a lockdown house and I never will. Yeah. yeah I will I not would. even consider a lockdown house, period. So other things that I've heard of that I feel like should change and I don't know, like, so like, you know, you look to other examples like New Zealand, they have a system crafted by and for sex workers. Like they consulted sex workers when they crafted their yeah. legislation. And I just, again, this is kind of the spirit of this conversation. I've heard that like, you know, at, at a time I had heard that healthcare was available and then it's like maybe not so much. And I know that, that that's a much bigger topic, but just in the, in the, in the topic of health, I've heard that, you know, it's like good to hear that you have like a, kitchen to your availability and you can get your own food and you've got your own car and all that stuff to do that. But I've heard that like some locations, the food they serve is basically like just bar food. And it's like, the girls are like, how do you expect me to be sexy if you're just feeding me pizza and wings all the time? <laughs> you know? So when I came here, because the house does, which I don't know how we could, I don't know how we could uh, address that in regulation. You know, that's kind of an owner thing. It would but... be an internal management thing. Okay? Right. I don't that's what I mean to say. You could yeah. regulate that. I don't think that you can even mandate that food would be provided. That's just right. something that the house says, Hey, you know, I pay room and board. They provide a meal. Whether I eat that meal or not is up to me. Again, my free will. If I don't like the food, I at least have the free will to go get my own, prepare my own, etc. Um, when I first came here, um, I did notice that there was a, maybe the, the generation before me really relied on like highly processed foods and quick fix like you know, frozen pizza stuff and whatever. I'm not that way. I like to nourish my body in healthier ways. Now I'm a curvy girl and I love my pretzels and beer cheese at, at, at you know, at the local pub, you know, like, come on. I'm not saying I am the, the bastion of, of <laughs> perfect health, but I like to eat fairly clean and then have triple stuff Oreos and, and beer cheese. Okay. Let's just, Let's just, just admit that. Got to keep the curve somehow. But the processed foods, the convenience type foods, because of our location, not having delivery or catering or having, you know, um, a need for like hiring a full-time cook or chef. Um, I said, hey, I don't know if you guys realize, but when you're buying food for us, even though we, we can put things on a shopping list and say, I want this or I want that. When you're doing the meals that you guys on your end are doing, giving us a Stouffer's lasagna, we're not actually going to eat that because it's just so full of preservatives and, and so on. We would prefer to have healthier stuff. And then on top of that, we have some girls who are um, gluten intolerant or vegetarian or whatever. So, uh, me being the problem solver that I am, I said, look, I will create meal plans based on dietary restrictions, on nutritional elements. Um, I will create all the shopping lists for all these meals. So we've been doing that for about a month. Um, one of the staff lost 10 pounds in the month because she was eating cleaner. You know, like she's like, I, I lost 
10 pounds and she wasn't even trying. It was because she changed the diet based on what I proposed with healthier eating and so on. But I got to have a voice in that and I got to have an influence in that and I got to participate in that. Not every house is going to be open to someone like Tori coming in going, hey, you know, we would like to eat healthier foods and here's my idea and them going yeah let's do that let's try it let's see what happens and then seeing the end result being better so people are in more of a happier state healthier state we're not like infiltrated with with bad food but you're right there are houses that provide shitty food if they provide any food at all and yeah. then you also have young girls that may not have come from a background where nutrition and, you know, nutritional education has been much of a, of a, of a topic of conversation at dinner, you know? So I think that promoting a healthy lifestyle inside the brothels themselves, both houses that I worked at had gym amenities um, I like the gym here a lot better. Um, both houses have had a tanning bed, although I don't use it because I don't want the UV exposure. Um, but other girls do want it. If anything, it does give you vitamin D. Um, I like to get my vitamin D in other ways. <laughs> I <laughs> had to say it, man. Um, That's funny. But like they promote a healthy lifestyle here, but we're open to finding new ways or embracing new ways of being even healthier. So if a brothel is going to be providing housing and food, they need to look at those quality of life and lifestyle um, elements so that we are the happiest and healthiest and most wholehearted that we can be in our work. And that translates to um, more business, more profits, et cetera. So I've said it on social media. I think I posted it in the last few weeks. I was like, a happy hooker makes more money and a healthy hooker will make more money for lack of better words. So we need to look at the quality of life of the girls and that translates to the whole lockdown thing. That's very um, oppressive. I think that having, you know, fines because you miss a lineup, um, you know, you're scared to use the bathroom because you might miss a bell and get a $250 fine. Like some brothels will do. We don't do that here. If I'm in the bathroom and I miss a lineup, that's on me. I missed out on potential of making money, but I'm going to honor my bladder and not try to hold it and put my health at risk because I'm trying to hold, you know, a natural human function for too long. See what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like the more you can promote the girls or the workers, um, cause I do wish it was beyond just those that identify and were born as female. Right. Um, the healthier the workers are, the better it'll be for everyone. And living in, in a restrictive environment where free will is removed or where your health is not the highest priority 
or that your um, mental health is not the highest priority, where profits over people. I, I, I'm, I'm so against the profits over people model. Yeah, it's a business. I've been an entrepreneur long enough to know that business is business. But if you're not thinking about the people, your people are the profits. You've got to put the people first. It cannot be about how much, um, how many Benjamins can come out of this pussy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. needs to be about the quality of the experiences that I'm not only providing, but what the quality of the experiences I'm having and being my most whole, healthy, fulfilled self, um, which means that I have longevity here. Yeah. You're going to yes. have a high turnover rate. You're going to have girls, you know, that are getting sick or getting depressed or whatever. If you don't take care of the girls, you're not going to see the money. Yeah. The nickel and diming thing was one of the things I was going to ask you about. So I'm glad you brought that up. And Oh, I, I I'm glad you brought it up too. <laughs> so yeah, I get to keep a lot more of my money here because the last network I was nickel and dimed for everything here. I, literally I, 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 my jaw drops every once in a while when I learned that I'm not going to be nickel and dime for that. It's like, wow, awesome. You know, like when I came here, I did not realize just how well it was run when it changed management. There was a shuffle of management before I got here. Let's just put it that way. I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying like they recognized the detriment and the how it backfires if it's not managed a certain way. And here, as well as at the last house I was at, we have what's called tea parties. And it's basically, you know, staff and girls, we all get together. And we hash out, you know, what happened that week or any concerns we have. I love that both houses do that. This house does it weekly, but the owner, no matter where he, he flew in from Australia, 17 hours to be at our tea party. Like he takes these tea parties very, very seriously. Whereas I never met the madam, let alone had her attend a tea party, you know, like at the last house. I mean, there was no direct connection between top level and us. And I think that it's really, really important important that brothels have eyeball to eyeball contact with each and every girl to give them a voice to let them have the power of influence to influence things and steer things in a direction that makes sense that are based on the girls that work there not about the shareholders or owners that are just looking at the numbers because the numbers will follow the happy hookers <laughs> keep keep your hookers happy folks Yep. Um, so yeah, that, that's, um, that is a big thing that just seems like before we would do a copy and paste, we would, we would make sure to, I don't know, that just doesn't seem like that happens in any other field where you can just be arbitrarily kind of find, you know? Um, and, and that's, that's a big oh. comment that I would say that's kind of a theme that, um, you know, and, and people that, and I've had a few sex workers actually reach out to me that are former sex workers that favor decriminalization, but don't favor legalization because of some of the power differentials with the arbitrary fines and everything like that. Right. Um, and that's the thing. 
Um, I know people who work for lockdown houses, like I said, or work with lockdown houses. They don't work for them, but with them. Um, I know people who work in houses where you're fined for everything. Okay. Now, <clears throat> at the last house, I didn't deal with fines. Fines were not issued. Some of you might be wondering what sort of fines would they be issued? What sort of fines could sex workers be issued? I wondered the same exact thing. And uh, once again, I've made two trips to Nevada at this point, one where I was allowed to come into a brothel and I was actually given the handbook for the brothel. Now, this was not a brothel that uh, Tori has ever worked at from what I understand, but I just was looking to get a little bit more insight onto you know, what are these fines? And so I'm going to display right now uh, a look at a handbook that I actually got my hands on from a Nevada brothel. We will be sharing this entire document on the Internet in the future. But for now, this will be the uh, first glimpse you get at it. Um, as you can see, I'm displaying right now. It says there is a zero tolerance. There is zero tolerance for alcohol abuse. Two drinks per shift. No shots, no bottled beer. All drinks are served in a glass. If you do enjoy beer, you will only be served a Pilsner glass of draft beer. Now, it says if you struggle with alcoholism, all drinks will be N.A. The first defense for being drunk, I think it means to say first offense for being drunk, is a verbal notice. Second offense is a $500 fine. Third offense is $1,000, and the fourth offense is immediate dismissal. So there's an example of some fines being issued. Now, you know, look, I could look at it this one way and say, wow, it's so crazy that you get fines issued uh, for, for drinking on the job. Um, but you could look at it another way and say that, well, you get a warning the first time, and then afterwards you get fired. Any other job, if you got caught drinking on the job – you would be fired immediately. So, you know, I I, uh, I definitely think the $500 fine and $1,000 fine is pretty stiff. But again, when you consider that, you know, the alternative is just being fired on the spot for drinking. It is interesting. They have almost like a tolerance policy. Now, is it very tolerant? No, there's actually some rigidity to the policy. However, you know, it's probably different from a place like you or I work where if you got caught drinking, there is zero tolerance. So another example where fines seem to come into play, it's not very clear to me what they are or, you know, but it, they allude to in this section of the document, which, again, you're seeing a document that I will share more context for. But in this, it explains that, uh, you know, the women – uh, that work there are supposed to be operating a CB radio on channel 19 and you advertise for yourself. I actually have footage of them doing this that I will share more of in the future. It'll be an entire episode, but as you can see here, it says zero tolerance for missed radio times and to be on time early is best. Binds are never a good choice. So it seems like unless I'm misunderstanding something, you can get fined for missing your radio time. So the radio time is meant to be advertising time. It's part of their duties. 
And uh, I guess if you missed that, it looks like you could you could face fines. So I just wanted to jump in here to add a little bit of context if you were wondering, what could you possibly be fined for? Back to the show. I think fines are exploitive. Um, an example would be um, we had like the first week I was here, there was a new girl here and her grandmother ended up going into the hospital and she needed to leave like a family emergency, a health issue, things you can't predict or control, right? Of course, you know, everybody helped her like getting her quickly to the airport and helping her pack all that stuff, you know, hey, call us if you need anything like super supportive. Hey, we understand. And, and so she got to leave quickly on short notice. Whereas at another house that very same week, someone was fined $1,500 because they ended their, their tour a day early, a day early. And they were, they were fined like $1,500 for ending their tour early. I mean, to me, that is absolutely disgusting to me that that you would punish somebody who had to leave on short notice who had a change of plans who for that matter just needed to get the fuck out well and frankly they, they you're walking having a bad month and they were going in debt because they did they lost their mojo or 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 the recession was hitting so bad that they literally were making no money why why make them stay to the very last day and not go to, to, to their grandmother's bedside at a hospital or go to a funeral or go home to your sick kid or go home because you're going in debt because it's slow and you're not making enough money to justify staying there. To me, that's not okay. And so like, again, that whole free will, my free will to use the restroom and miss a, a lineup or free will to walk out that front door to go buy my own damn groceries or free will to leave and fly home on short notice and know that the people behind me are not mad at me or punishing me because this bad thing happened in my life. I would love to know that they're back there saying, good luck to you. Let us know how we can help. You know, let us know when, when you're ready to come back. You know, we're, we're here to support you. It just doesn't make sense. So yeah, the, the, the fines didn't exist in the last house I was at, but they do exist in other houses. The last house I was at nickel and dimed you for everything here. We're not nickel and dimed. Yes. We do pay room and board. Yes. It is a fair amount. Um, in fact, it's the same as what it was at the last house. However, I can offset my room and board much easier by booking just one party. I, I'm not charged room and board. Whereas at the last house, I had to book multiple parties in order to qualify for free room and board. Yeah, so, see, that's, that's another thing Yeah, that I had heard. It, it, I don't remember who I spoke to, but they said when you arrive in some places, you're in debt to the house you know so there are upfront costs when you arrive okay yeah and um, i feel like some of it um, goes without saying i mean if they're upfront that you have to pay for rent you know well you got to pay mean, for your license because you're an independent yeah. contractor that's on you not not the house and the house if you're lucky and in my case both houses will allow you to charge it to the house and then pay it out of your first payout so they take it out of like your first party or parties, depending on 
the price of the party and, and profit margin and all that stuff. Okay. So they do allow you to come in um, at many houses. I can't say that all houses do this, but you don't have to come in with cash in hand to pay upfront for certain things like your license, your doctoring. We pay for our own doctoring every week and, and the cost of that um, adds up. And so you've got to have that factored in as a startup cost. You need to have your supplies. The house does not provide the condoms you do. So like for me, I buy in bulk. If one of the girls runs out of condoms, um, they know they can come to me because I've got a really good supply and a really good variety, but not every house um, has where they you could buy it off a house. Like the last house I was at, if I ran out of condoms, even though I can have Amazon ship them in or Condom World or, you know, like different online retailers, um, I can run to Walmart 15 minutes away. Well, here, Walmart's 45 minutes away. And, you know, it might I might need them right then and there. So I have, um, at the last tea party, I suggested that we create like a um, starter kit for the girls as kind of a welcome gift when they get here. So if they forgot something, because we all have done it, we're packing and we're getting everything and we forget a very important um, item that we need to do our job, it's going to be harder to go get those things or maybe a delay in sh having it shipped in. I said, you know, we need to have those supplies at all times because right now I am the supplier here. <laughs> you know, like we need to have like an internal store that, but I learned my lesson that you can blow through a bunch of condoms unexpectedly with like a flurry of bookings of people with, with, you know, larger size penises. And you can go through a box of condoms real quick in that case. Like you don't know what size penis is walking in that door at any given moment. And so I, I one time ran low and ran out of something suddenly and unexpectedly but I had the benefit of being able to walk up to the booking window and saying, hey, I just ran out of magnums. Do you have some? Can I buy some? And here um, I propose that we have like an internal store for those moments where we might run out of something unexpectedly. So that's something that I'm steering into the correct direction. But beyond that, I just said, let's just give them their basic supplies as like a welcome to the house gift. And then that way there's no stress about, oh shit, I forgot to bring blah, blah, blah. Now I've got to go 45 minutes down the road to go get this thing, or I have to order on Amazon. It's going to be a couple days before it gets here. Like it, I, I, my role here is to remove stress and liability in a lot of ways and to have people feel empowered when they come in. So when they come in, wouldn't it be nice to have like this kit of all your basic supplies as a gift. And then you don't have to worry about that startup cost too, you know? So I don't know. I, there, there are debts that can be acquired when you come in to any house, whether that house will cover those expenses for you. And then you just pay them back on your first party or parties and reimburse them for that upfront um, loan, if you will. Um, but you do have to have those costs 
covered one way or the other, whether the house does it or whether you do it, I would like to see where it's um, all the houses will cover it and maybe even, you know, off give you more opportunities to offset it based on your booking numbers. Like if you're booking really, really well, then you shouldn't have to pay room and board. You know what I mean? Like to me, it just makes sense that every house would offset room and board. Um, the two that I've worked at gave you opportunities to offset it, to reduce your, your own overhead, but um, it's easier to offset here than it was there. Gotcha. So more money stays in my pocket. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Well, um, not that I was about to say we're going to spin it to a high note, not that we're on a low note. Like I say, this is a, this is a, if we're going to copy and paste this, how do we do this in the best sort of way? So it's a really constructive conversation that I'm enjoying. Um, and so my last topic in the, in the spirit of that is a message that I received from a sex worker. And I, you know, I'm not saying that you have to defend this person's perspective because it's very possible. In fact, that they had a bad experience or a negative experience and that they're painting with a broad brush, you know, uh, what do they say? Uh, you know, when an when, when somebody quits, sometimes their initial reaction can be a little, uh, overblown and let's just say there's a lot of emotion in it. So I'm trying to give them the benefit yeah. of the doubt. If you can't say that, if you can't tell. Mm -hmm. So anyways, they say they, they said that they used to work in, the, the brothel system they named the people they work for i'm not, i don't care to name people because i don't think it's productive but um you know they're basically saying that they support the decriminalization of sex work but they don't like how nevada is doing sex work they say the majority of women who work there have a, a pimp learning disorders personality disorders mental health disorders and no, mm -hmm. nothing you do will um, make a difference because I they were asking me why I wanted to interview them and uh, I was saying you know to to talk have a productive conversation like we are now yeah. and they said they said nothing you do will make a difference and uh, they said those who don't have a pimp go there in crisis or and fled a bad situation and have nothing but clothes on their back and they needed somewhere to go and a roof over their head and the brothel takes advantage of that the licenses uh, let the owners do whatever they want and the women have no rights. Um, obviously we've talked today and you've expressed that you have plenty mm -hmm. of rights and you feel that uh -huh. you have the freedom to do a lot of things. So this person could be painting with a broad brush. Again, that's me giving them the benefit of the doubt, but is there, do you think there's any truth to, and I think this is kind of the last heart thing that I will give with the moral with anything to do with morality is do you think there is possibility that people are going there in a desperate situation and are being taken advantage of? Yeah. I, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, I came here out of desire, not desperation. And while the um, potential to come in under very extreme dire circumstances is greater. Um, this is a segue for, for, for women to get out of desperate situations. Um, it breaks my heart, honestly, to know that that person had that experience. It, it bothers me greatly. I, that is not okay. Um, I do know that hiring practices between the two houses have been vastly different. Um, 
but at the same time, even the last house, um, they, they, if they got wind that somebody had a pimp, they wouldn't take on that, that girl. And I can see where another house would actually exploit those coming in. I can see that potential there. Okay. So I am in no way invalidating their experience. If anything, I am validating it going, I'm horrified. And, and I, I couldn't imagine how dehumanizing and demoralizing that experience had to be for them. And I could see where that would taint their overall view. But I am here to say with authority and in truth that when I went from one house that I didn't have much of a voice in, I had one, but it was based on how well my numbers were. Like literally I would sit down with a leadership and I would say, hey, there's this issue. And they'll go, well, we looked at your numbers before you came in. And I'm like, what do my numbers have anything to do with it? Seriously, like your priorities are really fucked. If, if that's really what gives me a voice here, okay? Now, maybe they weren't saying it in that many words and maybe I'm misconstruing it, but my numbers have nothing to do with what I have to say as being valid or important. And that's where the picture that they just painted, what you just described, is not okay. It, it will never be okay. And the fact that it is happening and can't, it, the fact that it can happen will never go away. But the fact that it is happening, it, it needs to be um, not allowed. Okay. So with that said, the business model that I am in is the one that I feel could be replicated. The business model as a whole has polluted pockets and toxic elements that need to be cleaned up. And we need to sift that out and get it out of the out of the sandbox and take what works. And those that have a voice need to keep using it. Those that feel they don't have a voice, such as the example you just gave, where nothing, you know, that's very defeatist. I cannot imagine how defeated they had to feel going in and coming out of that situation. Again, it bothers me a lot. It bothers me. I'm going to lose some sleep knowing this now. Like hearing that is upsetting. But not all brothels are like that. That is not how every brothel works. That is how one brothel works. And it could be that I'm in a brothel that it might, maybe years ago, maybe it's how it worked here. I don't know. But I do know the current owner, the current leadership, the current lineup of people here are all striving to make things better all the way down to like the nutritional value of the meals. And, you know, the, 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 the quality of gym equipment that we have versus, you know, another brothel might, you might be lucky to get like, you know, a, a, a balance ball and a yoga mat. You know what I mean? Like, um, like I think that we have an ethical and moral responsibility. If we, you, if you are in the brothel industry, 
as an owner, as a leader, as a manager, as an employee um, who work alongside us girls as independent contractors, that your overarching theme is to, to act in ethical ways. The hiring practices would be more restrictive if we, if there's red flags when somebody has a pimp, you know somebody has a pimp before they're even coming in. How these people did, don't see that, I have to question, Jeez, <laughs> you know? But the thing is, is sometimes people with the pimp come in to get away from the pimp. So there has to be a way that we can support that too. We just have to look at, again, how to morally and ethically go through the sex work um, industry in a way that is acting in integrity and supports acting ethically and with integrity and with good character at the, at the independent contractor level. Yeah. And I've got another quote um, from John Oliver again, uh, to those who are still uncomfortable out of concern that there are people who feel uh, economically forced into sex work. We totally agree with you. That is a huge problem. But the fact is our current laws are not addressing that. And if you want to do that, that's a much bigger conversation to have because fundamentally the only way to make sure that people have a choice in the way they earn money is to make housing affordable, healthcare accessible, and to not burden marginalized people with criminal records that lead to a cycle of joblessness, homelessness, and desperation. But until such time, uh, as we have that conversation, and it does not seem like enough people are itching to have that right now, we need to stop pursuing policies that harass, endanger, and, and occasionally refrigerate sex workers and start listening to what they actually want. Uh, the refrigerate thing was a reference to some other joke that he had in uh, his, his special. I think it was something to do with the, the working conditions in a brothel, not even in America. It was so cold that the sex workers were saying they felt like they were in a refrigerator or something like that. Yeah. But anyways, I felt so, like that quote again, got to the spirit of what we were talking about, you know? Yeah. So here's the thing. I, hallelujah, hundred percent agree with every bit of it. And it gives me goosebumps to hear those words. It's so refreshing to have somebody who will champion the bigger picture. Okay. Because it is a bigger picture issue. But the thing is, is it boils down to this. Everyone involved in this industry, we are all humans. And we all have to treat each other as the humans we are with compassion, with empathy, with, with care and concern. Okay. Every industry, there is an element of exploitation. There is an element of going rogue and um, misconduct. And I mean, it's in every industry. It's in banking. It's in medical. It's in it's cannabis. In we talk about it's it all the in time. Everywhere. Okay. Yep. We cannot escape it. This is not unique to just brothel work. So when we recognize that this is a broad issue, just like you did in that quote. Okay. This is a broad issue where 
we do have marginalized people coming into this industry. We do have people who are in desperate situations coming into this industry. It has been driven by those very people who gave their own blood, sweat, and tears and access to their body in ways that they probably had less free will than what I have. And again, I am reminded in these conversations just how privileged I am to be able to do what I do, the way that I do it, with the people that I do it with, in a structure that supports that, okay? When I came here, I was blown away by the vast differences in how the owner here is hands-on, direct contact, easy access, 24-7. I can shoot an email or message or whatever, and it will get right to him unless he's on a plane and he'll get it as soon as he lands, right? And he will say, absolutely. How does Monday sound? And I can sit down one-on-one -on -one and have a voice. And I could say, hey, may not seem like a really big deal, but this is actually a really big deal for our quality of life. And I'd like for you to consider it. And he says, consider it done. You know how privileged I am to have that? And I tell him, I really appreciate how you do things here. And I give him comparisons, not just in my own experience, but that of others. And the thing is, is he knows how it works out there too. I don't want to quote him without his permission, but he does see um, where other brothels put pressure on the girls and it is not like it bothers him a great deal. He has been witness to it. He knows it exists. He is not out of touch with how other brothels work. And that's why he is so driven to not do that here. Is this place perfect? No. We actually have changes that need to be made. Policies that need to be put in place, um, accountability that needs to be maybe a little tighter, things like that. Okay. I'm not saying this is the perfect model. I am saying the model that allows for growth, expansion, improvement, and so on is the model that's going to be successful. If we can have that kind of model in every brothel, yes, then we can copy and paste and expand it. But if you have restrictive environments, exploitive environments, and an environment like the sex worker that you just talked about that said, hey, they, they exploit us, um, we, need to, we need to basically pull the curtains back on those environments and shut that shit down. We are humans. Yeah, and I, I wanted to talk to this individual. They said they needed to talk to their therapist and think about it because of their experience. Um, I hope that they're willing to come on, um, you know, and I told them, you know, that that I do my best to be sensitive, but I'm, you know, trying to respect mm -hmm. their, uh, mm -hmm. their time and their decision that they're making because it is their decision, right? Um, Absolutely. But uh, yeah, I mean, are you comfortable with telling me some of your... I mean, some of the improvements you would make before you would copy and paste, you just made reference to. Okay. So again, I, I'm only speaking from the perspective of my own experiences in two different houses 
And then third party information, basically people in other houses taking their word for what, what they, what they share. And I've referenced a few of them. I, I try to do it with broad strokes and not name names or identifying information, but I mean, we all talk amongst each other. The sex worker that was literally traumatized, who, who identified that those that are traumatized were further traumatized. I am of the mind that she's so fucking brave to even speak about it. And that she is being very careful in her approach. Like she wants to talk to her therapist and she needs to think about it and that you are respecting that and that you are in no way bypassing consent to, to share or divulge more information than necessary. I respect you for that. But I have such great respect for her and her experience that she even spoke up. Whether she continues to speak or not, I'm open to having a conversation with this individual if they feel it would help in some way, but I'm not going to insert myself either. You know, like I am an approachable person by all means. If it, that has value, then I'm happy to give it. But I think that there may be a benefit of having like an oversight and accountability element so that every sex worker that's licensed doesn't have to go through just their county, but maybe a clearinghouse, if you will, a higher level, non-involved, like, in other words, it wouldn't be composed of brothel owners or, you know, like um, public authorities that, that could influence um, the oppression of your voice. Okay, so like a clearinghouse of non-involved parties from multiple backgrounds. Okay, we can't have a whole bunch of churchy people running this type of clearance house. Like we have to have a really good clearinghouse of open-minded people who would have the power and influence to um, mitigate concerns that may be voiced. And those voices need to know that they can do it in a safe way, without retribution, without retaliation, and so on. Remember I said, you know, brothels used to be run by the freaking mafia. I mean, we've come a long way, make no mistake, but we still have a lot of room to, to maybe move it in a direction where every brothel worker gets to have the privilege of using her voice and having free will like I do which I don't take for granted. I know how precious that is. It is not a commodity or an asset or something that's just automatically given to every sex worker. Well, and candidly, network of brothels. Candidly, most sex workers I've spoke to have had to like, you know, make sure, I mean, I know that you, you know, like asked for permission, but like you said, even if you would have maybe acted independently, right? But other workers that I've tried to speak to have just frankly been told, no, we, we don't do media. You don't do media. And so they come back to me and say, sorry, uh, you're very nice. And that happened to me. 
I mean, yeah. that happened to me, and that's why I was able to do the documentary after I left the house. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, you did mention You know, that. like, it literally happened to me. And you and I spoke, because I did that on my free time, and I didn't ask permission. I let them yeah. know, hey, I'm not going to stop doing this. I've been doing it before I came here, and nobody can suppress my voice. Yeah. Um, Because... You know, I, I used to run a blog that was very, very high ranking in the topic matters that I spoke about in my past life. And the tagline on that blog was one voice can make a difference for many. I have always been outspoken. I have always been transparent and open and, you know, knowing that I have room to learn. So like if somebody gives me new information that can help me see things in a better way. I'm open to receive that. Like I'm always striving to know better, to do better and so on. But I do take the information and experiences that I have and I share them in a wide spectrum. Um, I've done everything from, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations to being in front of 50 million viewers live. <laughs> okay. I have a wide spectrum of of using my voice and i know that there are women in countries that can't use their voice there are uh, marginalized people that if they use their voice it could mean they lose their life i know that there that not everyone has the privilege of using their voice so when i am met with resistance and using my voice i become very 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 persistent in making sure that nobody gets to shut me up Okay. Well, I... And, and so I'm going to be one of those very outspoken and opinionated women that would have been burned at the stake 400 years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm okay with using my voice, but not everybody can, and not everyone will. And I respect them too. Yeah. So well... for those of us that do use our voice, thank you for giving us a, a an outlet to use it seriously. You're getting this out beyond, beyond what I could have done in a private conversation or even in a public conversation. Thank you for getting it out there. I want to thank the listeners for receiving our voices from whatever perspective it comes from. Like, seriously, I really appreciate those that tune in and listen. And if, if you're listening to it right now and you stuck with this whole series and this whole episode... Thank you. We need more people in this world like you. And we need more people in the world like you that, 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 that create these podcasts and opportunities and videos and, and getting the word out and getting it out to the public eye. Those that are afraid to speak up have reason to be afraid. And we need to remove that element of fear of using our voice and speaking our truths and in having a voice in how this industry is steered. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to just say that I appreciate you so much for everything you just said, but also for, for being willing to come on here and just give me so much of your time. I'm, I'm happy that we were able to do a return episode and, you know, all those things that you said about yourself, uh, that you're, you know, you're a rule maker, you're, you're a rule breaker and a rule maker, you yep. know, you kind of set <laughs> trends. You're not afraid 
to speak up, uh, those are all reasons you're going to be a recurring guest right here on the Chillinois podcast. I'm very honored. I was honored <laughs> to be here to begin with. I'm yeah. incredibly honored to be invited back and I am absolutely 100% happy to come on board anytime. Yeah, next time we'll have to make the next one in in person, maybe even at the Alien Cat House. So yeah. once again, folks, uh, I don't know if I haven't made it clear already. We didn't make the in person at the Cat House happen, but we did make an in person podcast happen. That will be my next episode with Tori Lisa. So stay tuned for that. She tells us the story about how and why she left the Alien Cat House. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I've already stress tested whether or not that's possible. And it is. So yeah, <laughs> I love Sweet. that I get the support that I that I get here to be able to use my voice to be able to, like I said, peel back the curtains and shed some light on the mystery of it. Yeah, or the misinformation of it. And at the same time, validate the underbelly of it too. Yeah, that exists and 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 it shouldn't. And I'd really like to see this model expand, but we have to sift out all the cat shit out of that sandbox <laughs> before before we get a clean container to replicate, you know? Like, no, we there there's some work to do, admittedly. Yeah. I've been but, looking for a way I've been looking for a way to describe it. And yeah, I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> okay, cool. I literally I just you know, I'm yeah. <laughs> I just Anyways. speak my mind. So yeah. No, I was just joking. That was just a funny analogy. So um, anyways, well, any, anything else uh, before we wrap up? I think we've been going uh, maybe as maybe as long as I've ever gone on a podcast. And I'm sure you've heard that. Maybe you don't hear that often. I've, I've gone as this is the longest I've ever gone. Do you hear that quote often? Or is it always, oh, I went too quick? Are we talking about my work? Or are we talking about the podcast? I was making a sexual joke at that point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm I figured sorry. it was innuendo. And I, yeah, I was no, going yeah, to it was it innuendo. because... I'm like the queen of innuendo. In fact, I'm a little impressed that I didn't throw more innuendo in. I did talk about vitamin D and things like that. But if you came and sat here and hung out with me, you're going to see my innuendo streak. My innu innuendo game is strong. So props to you, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I come and yeah, I'm, I know a lot of people come and sit there. Uh, so I'm sure I'll start. There was another and, joke. And then a lot of people <laughs> sit there and come. So, yes, you know, yeah, there, you <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like, I like alley-ooped it for you and you like slam dunked it. <laughs> so. oh, let me tell you. Okay. Yeah. We, we get along so great. Um, yeah. so here's the thing. Um, thank you. No, seriously. Yeah. And I know that time, your time is precious. The viewer's time is precious. It's a, and this is a new thing we're doing. Precious you know? and perishable commodity. But at the same time, thank you for letting me use my voice. Thank you for giving a voice to all walks of sex workers. Um, Every single sex worker, they, they absolutely 100% need to be able to use their voice. And when it is oppressed, suppressed, you know, like that doesn't do society any good to marginalize or suppress any element of our human experiences. Okay. So I'm just here to say that not everyone goes into sex work out of desperate means and measures. Um, those that do, you know what? We need to support them even more because that is exactly why they 
had traumatic experiences because they had to do it on the illegal side or on the unmonitored, unregulated, unaccountable side of things. And yes, there's some polluted pockets that exist in this industry, even on the legal side. But if we are all working together and putting our voices together, and for those that don't feel that they're strong enough to use their voice, I will be their mouthpiece. Because one voice can make a difference for many. So thank you to everyone. Thank you to you. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to all sex workers, um, past, present, and future. It's an important element to the human experience to have intimacy, to have human connection, to be able to have um, safe, sane, and consensual access, to have accommodations for those that wouldn't normally be able to access it, whether it be through disability or through mental health issues, whatever the case may be. It all boils down to whichever side of the coin you're on, we are all humans. We are all doing the best we can with what we have, but we can do better for each yeah. other and with each other. Yeah. And I think that one of the one of the best proposals I heard from today's conversation that I wanted to bring up and dwell on for just a moment before we close is I think an oversight committee uh, comprised of unbiased and nuanced perspectives you know, yes. maybe some, maybe some sex workers, maybe some healthcare workers, maybe some people in mental health, you know, run the yeah. whole gamut, but they need yeah. to be unbiased. And, um, they, I would think that maybe a hotline so that you could call in potential compliance issues or bad working conditions and, yes. and then go from there. I feel like that is one of the, the, the things that I feel like would be a solid proposal that could make for frankly, uh, happier hookers like you say happier hookers are better better ones so right <laughs> so and anyways. and you know um the the fact that in my past life i worked in many government circles you know working the chain of command can only go so far once you've reached the top level where do you go from there and if if it's a top down issue you you you, you get stuck um I, I was a whistleblower in DC. I exposed things like this. Okay. So it's kind of interesting that I'm literally in this industry, finding myself replicating in some ways what my past life was about. And it's, it's, it's like a parallel here. Okay. The thing is, is when you do have hotlines and you do have the oversight and accountability, um, element like they do in government circles. Now, people are going to argue, yeah, well, the government doesn't, you know, this, that. I'm not going to get into that debate. But I am going to say that we do need to have beyond a top level internal structure, there needs to be an overarching structure that can get the bigger picture of the climate and the environment and the issues as a whole by speaking one-on-one -on -one with those that are in the thick of it so that they feel safe in using their voice. Well said, well said. Well, again, just want to thank you for your time. And folks, uh, once again- Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, there's going to be links in the podcast description, but I just want to display once again, if 
you enjoyed uh, our time with Tori, you can visit her at the Alien Cat House. Um, and we've got a link to uh, Selfie Pop, which includes all of her links, uh, OnlyFans, FetLife, all that good stuff. Um, so, folks, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Chillinois Podcast. And this part will probably be taken down for copyright. Um, but we're going to listen for a moment. We're going to dance as well as we can. Okay. <laughs> I know the reference. Oh my God. I'm so glad you survived. Sir. I don't know how well that uh, will come out for the recording and if it'll even make it onto YouTube because of copyright. But if I get it. Did, it I get it. There's but, some oh my back. God. You are so yeah, much could you, fun. Did you even see me <laughs> dancing? I didn't know if my camera was still on when I did it. I was busy dancing. I'm sorry. I mean, I can't oh, okay. resist that I hope song. the people. I hope the people could see us dancing. If not, yeah, maybe they were I mean, dancing I'm themselves. I mean, I'm sitting, so it was kind of like a a, a, a chair Same dance, like, you yeah, know. Yeah, I was just but, going like this. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so long story short, you are a lot of fun, and you're fucking hilarious. I love it. <laughs> I love Thank it. you. Thank you. Well, we'll spend more time together. So. All right. Sounds good. I look forward to that. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate you, each and every one of you. So you guys have an awesome day. Reach out anytime. I'm here. Take care, folks. All right.